0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you one last Friday evening, huh? In my last musing with you, I wish to reflect upon what our current situation, the coronavirus, can teach us about the long game. And, And here, my friends, I am not talking about coming up with ways necessarily in how to save money, but simply thoughts on how on what we ought to be thinking about for the long game of heaven and our judgment, huh? At the very least, many of us, if not all of us, have been made to ask the question, what makes me tick? Uh, What gets me going in the morning? Why do I do what I do? There's an old Latin adage, modus operandi, meaning method of operation. While today it has many applications Uh, criminal investigations being one of them, one of its initial applications had a much richer, deeper spiritual context. It was a phrase often employed to challenge Christians in how they were living out their baptismal vocation to love God and neighbor. In the spirit of this challenge, my friends, you might hear the aforementioned questions. What makes you tick? What motivates you to get up in the morning? Or why do you do what you do? In other words, What is your modus operandi? So how do we go from a phrase meaning a method of operation to one of the great challenges in the early church? Well, I think the answer is found in the word itself, method. The English word for method comes from the Latin word methodus, meaning a way of traveling or going. Interestingly, the first Christian's were called what? But followers of the way. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 2, chapter 18, verse 26, 19, verse 9, and and many other verses. The first Christians were called followers of the way, way, capital W. So the way quickly emerged as code, if you will, for being a follower of what? But the way, the truth, and the life. What does Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So modus operandi emerged as a battle cry, if you will, for the first Christians as it would often lead to this kind of examination of conscience. To respond to one of the aforementioned questions, what makes you tick, etc., etc., is to honestly reflect into what motivates you to do what you do. Essentially, my friends, the challenging question, however it is phrased, ought to bring out the best version of who God is calling us to be. And undoubtedly, this truth ought to be seen as the great invitation from Christ today. Jesus says to us in our quarantine state, Let me be your one great motivation. In light of this truth, we ought to be asking, I think new questions. Remember, new questions always lead to new answers, which always lead to new vistas and new avenues to walk down, huh? So what are those questions? Do I get up in the morning for strictly selfish gain, ignoring selfless acts? Do I seek places of honor and prestige, neglecting the simple folks I meet in everyday life? These kind of questions, my friends, and many others, are necessary to the extent they encourage us to act against our selfish motivations. So, where do we start in overcoming our self-centered ways? My dear friends, it starts with that one thing. As I often like to point out, there is typically one thing we are too attached to. It is probably the first thing you go to in the morning or maybe the last thing you spend time with before you go to bed, whether it be a game you are playing, I don't know, a team you are rooting for, or, or a sitcom you are watching. Whatever that one thing is, what our Lord asks from us is to uproot it from our heart and plant something new and beautiful in place of it. These are the days where we should not waste time necessarily binge watching, but binge praying binge-examining, examining our conscience. So it is, we pray for the grace of God that our new modus operandi, what gets you up in the morning, brings glory to God. Brings glory to God. Amen? Amen. Now, I was talking about the long game. The long game is about our new modus operandi that allows us to see as God sees. Here, maybe some of you are saying joe my fears overwhelm me i get it but what does paul tell us in romans chapter 8 verses 14 and following you have not received the spirit of slavery in which you fall back into fear but the spirit of adoption in which you cry abba father so we overcome our fears by clinging to christ mindful that it is the fear of god that ought to preoccupy our thoughts For it is the fear of God that we must be concerned with, huh? What does Proverbs tell us? Chapter 9, verse 10, I believe it is. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And indeed, in wisdom, we begin to see the bigger picture. What do I mean? Well, let us first take a more general look at wisdom. We believe that God created the world according to his wisdom. It is not the product of any necessity whatsoever nor of blind fate or chance. We believe that it proceeds from God's free will. God wanted to make his creatures share in his being, in his wisdom, in his goodness. What do we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Therefore, the psalmist exclaims, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. Psalm chapter 104, verse 24. Indeed, the Lord is good to all, and his companions is over all that he has made. That's the Catechism paragraph 295. All right, so what more can we say about wisdom? And it's relevance to our our situation today. Well, I'd like to share a story I think I've shared in the past. Last year, my family made the trip to Lake Tahoe. Among other things, we made the hike up to Eagle Lake. At the halfway point of the hike, a good 400 feet above Lake Tahoe, I turned around to behold an extraordinary sight. The water beyond the water. The pine trees beyond the pine trees. The rock beyond the rock. My eyes beheld the overwhelming beauty that is Lake Tahoe and all the interconnectedness of the pristine blue water towering pine trees, a massive rock. It was then I sensed God inviting me to contemplate the deeper meaning of this encounter with God's creation. What does St. Thomas Aquinas say of wisdom, all wisdom begins with the vision from the hilltop? You see, in principle, once you have access to higher ground, you now have a broader vision that allows you to see one aspect of creation in light of the whole. My dear friends, in the spiritual life, wisdom is a taste, an inclination of how one thing belongs to the whole of something else. Consequently, the wise person gains insight into the way things ought to be understood, not as a concurrence of events that have no perceptible connection per se, but as a series of interlocking events that are bound by God's sovereign care. God, in his providential love, will use whatever it takes to bring about the greater good for our salvation whether it be an unsuspecting encounter with another person, event in your life, sickness, or holiday trip, no one thing should ever be viewed as independent from God's larger plan. There was never a moment in the life of Christ where he looked at a situation and said, that's a coincidence. As Father God invites us to contemplate the meaning beyond the meaning, my friends, that we might discover his providential love in the many hills and valleys of our everyday life. Those hills and valleys that include encounters, events, sicknesses, holiday trips, and dare I say, my friends, viruses. As I look back on my time in Lake Tahoe, it was clear to me that God used creation, his first love letter to man, to inspire within me, by his grace, a deeper sense of what St. Thomas Aquinas intended to mean when he said, All wisdom begins with the vision from the hilltop. And I, for one, Forever grateful for it, and hopefully, all the wiser. I'm sure we all have had our Eagle Lake experience. Maybe, in its own way, this virus and how we have all slowed down to take in what is around us is that Eagle Lake experience. Something to think about. All right, all that being said, one closing point, one final point. My dear friends, all of us are always participating in something. The watching of a television program, a conversation, so on and so forth. All of these may or may not have redemptive value. But what we do know is that our participation in God has the fullness of redemptive value. And maybe we might look at this time as an opportunity to renew how we might participate in God, right? Some of you might be asking yourself the question, how is watching a television program, or for that matter, maybe a sporting event, a participation? Well, it's interesting. Over recent days and weeks, we've heard from all of the major sports stars, and all of them have said unanimously, playing the game is all but impossible without the fans. You just can't do it. And these major sports figures, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, and others, have been made to explain themselves. What do you mean by that? And all of them have, have talked about the sense of energy they receive from those around them. Well, what are they talking about? How the fans participate in the game. Hmm. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God is inviting each and every one of us into a personal relationship with Him, and that personal relationship is a participation, as Second Peter one four reminds us, a participation in His very likeness, in His very nature, as we participate in His love. What we will find on the other side is a renewed strength to live as we ought, that always begins with counting us second. And shouldn't that be before us? today. Amen. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.